All right, so we are joined today by CSBS Chief Economist Tom Seams. Tom, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Matt. So we've met a number of times now, and in two years of a whole lot of big months, February was a pretty big month. Can you tell me the big story uh, in the economy in the last month? In one word, inflation. Um, You know, to be clear, higher and faster inflation uh, was a problem before Russia invaded Ukraine, which is a big problem. Uh, But now that problem of higher inflation uh, for our economy and really the most of the rest of the world has jumped in the first place as a top national economic concern. And, you know, the reason that inflation is a much bigger national economic problem now than it was one to two months ago is because of the rapid run up in global oil prices following the Russian invasion. So, just a few weeks ago, in mid-February, oil was trading about $90 a barrel, which is, you know, historically pretty high, but it, now it's trading north of $130, and that's more than a 40% increase in under a month. So uh, that's high, and there's some that say that it could go as high as $200 a barrel, depending on how all this resolves itself. So oil is playing a big role here, but I want to take one short step back. We have mentioned inflation over and over again for the last year and some change now. Can we just start with the basics and really explain what inflation is? Because we all know it means we're going to start paying more for stuff, but but what is it really and where is it coming from? Yeah, so most economists will define inflation as a general broad increase in prices over time. And while that's correct, I like to take a slightly different view by looking at how much the value of our money has eroded over time. That is looking at the devaluation of our currency. So how much stuff can I buy with this $100 bill today compared to last year or say 10 years ago? Um, Some other ways I think to look at inflation and understand it are statements like too much money chasing too few goods or too much demand chasing too limited of a supply. And so to measure inflation, economists have created several indicators. I think the best known would be the Consumer Price Index or the CPI. And this measure is comprised of a market basket of goods and services for a typical consumer Um, to see how the prices for this basket change over time. And it's for an average individual, right? So the prices for specific products and services don't all move uniformly and they don't always go in the same direction. It's kind of like when you look at stock prices in the Dow Jones Industrial Average of just 30 stocks, some of them go up, some of them go down, uh, but we like to know where they're headed in aggregate. So the CPI is telling us the year-over-year Consumer prices, they were up 7.5% in January. Um, We're going to get the February reading soon. It will likely show an increase of 8% year over year or so. And then when the March reading comes out, you know, next month, that inflation number will be higher still, I think. So you're talking about uh, too much demand chasing too few goods. 
But what we know when you when you mention consumer price index is that is that it's a basket of goods representing what a general or or hypothetical person might be buying. But not all those goods change price at the same time. You know, one great example from about a year ago was that rent prices were going up quite a bit. If you already had a home and a mortgage, rent prices were not impacting you as much. So can you tell me, based upon the most recent data, what prices are changing the most and who's being impacted by it the most? Yeah, um, that's a great question. Um, you know, because inflation, it's it's almost like a personal tax, right? Uh, if the price of diapers go up, for example, since I don't have any children anymore, that doesn't impact me uh, like it would impact someone uh, that has to buy diapers, right? Um, so, so it's going to be different for each individual. And, you know, bear in mind that these are um, the inflation indicators we have are backward looking and they come out on a monthly schedule. So what I'm about to say reflects the price changes from January 21 to January of 2022. And the largest increases there during that one year period were in motor fuel, motor vehicles, airfare and transit expenses, household furnishings, and food. Uh, so these increased the most before the Russian invasion. Now, after the invasion and, and the hit to the world oil prices that we've already seen, we're already seeing gasoline prices have become consumers, you know, households' greatest concern. The price of gas reached record highs in the U.S. this week. They topped 400, or I'm sorry, they topped four dollars and ten cents on average per gallon. Um, and Russia is the third largest producer of oil in the world. Uh, Russia supplies 40 percent of natural gas imports to Europe. Um, the Russian energy minister recently said that if there's an embargo on Russian oil, the price could go to more than three hundred dollars a barrel. So. Clearly, anyone who uses energy is impacted, and I think that's all of us. Uh, but some people consume more energy than others, and some consume energy at a higher percentage of their income than others. Um, for the average household, they spend 2.6% of their income on gasoline. The lower income earners are impacted even more, even if they don't spend as much on energy, it's a higher share and it's, uh, it makes up 3% of their spending, and it's like 1.9% for high earners. So, you know, again, inflation's impact really depends on how you spend your money. It's going to be worse for those who spend more on energy or on vehicles than it is on those who spend less on those things. So inflation's impact has been bigger in, in rural and remote areas than in cities where people don't have to travel as far, and that's kind of so far. Um, I think it's also worth noting that smaller businesses are impacted more by higher inflation than larger businesses. And, you know, mainly because bigger firms can use their leverage with their suppliers and their transporters to mitigate some of the destructive impacts from inflation. So what you're what you're pointing out here is is that inflation does not impact everybody equally, that it seems like lower income families and smaller businesses are going to be more impacted by energy prices. You know, when I talk to my family, I think about the three consumer 
consumer items that everyone talks about when when they're thinking about inflation, which is gasoline, milk, and eggs. And <laughs> you just covered gasoline pretty well. I think everyone's kind of aware of travel demands and the war that's going on. And they get kind of an idea of why that would cause higher inflation. There's lower demand. But I think it's a little harder for folks to figure out why is this also impacting my price of eggs? Why is my milk so expensive? Uh, I want to know why I can't find cream cheese at my local grocery store half the time I go right now. So can you just tell me what is causing this higher inflation in all these goods? Yeah, exactly. So you're getting to the supply chain um, impacts and the supply chain disruptions. But before I go there, you know, I consider myself a, a monetarist. And what that means is I hold to the theory that inflation is caused mainly by the supply of money in the economy. So if, this, if, if uh, you know, I believe when there's too much money that's put into the economy, prices are going to rise. And I think it's just worth pointing out that since the start of the pandemic, which is now two years old, uh, the federal government has pumped in about $5.7 trillion in stimulus money um, to prop up households and businesses that were impacted by the economic lockdowns. Uh, during this same timeline, the Federal Reserve increased the size of its balance sheet by about $5 trillion. So we're talking about you know <laughs> a, a lot of money being pumped into the economy. And um, economists on the whole, and actually personally, we totally missed this. Uh, I think maybe 40 years of low and moderate inflation kind of lulled us to sleep. And, you know, last year when economists were guessing what 2021 inflation would be, they said it'd be about 1.8%. And the actual number came in at 6.7. So way off the mark. Um, so that's one factor is the money supply. But like what you point out, it's not just the excess supply of money that's driving inflation higher. Uh, global supply chains have been really stressed and twisted so that the supply of things and the ability to transport them has been limited at the same time that the demand held firm or maybe even went higher. So think about the availability of, of semiconductors or lumber or motor vehicles. Um, you know, those, those prices got driven up and not just for those goods, but anything that's related to them like houses, used vehicles, appliances, et cetera. And the same thing happens in our supply chains. Whenever they get disrupted or whenever some of the input costs go up, like um, gasoline prices, we're going to see the prices of those things go up as well. Um, and, and that's kind of, I mean, this is why this is such a big deal right now, because oil price shocks like we're seeing right now are almost always inflationary because everyone uses energy. And the cost ripples through supply chains for all kinds of goods and services, you know, from food to appliances. So recent political tensions are really adding fuel to the inflation fire. So you're saying there's more cash, more stimulus causing more demand. There's a supply shock, which is limiting the supply. So more demand, less supply. And we keep saying it's going to get better. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. Then there was Delta and then there was Omicron and now there's a war in Russia. I feel like I want to throw my hands up in the air and say it's never going to get better. Is is there any good news? Right. Uh, I feel you. Uh, <laughs> I feel the pain too. 
Um, you know, some some good news. Uh, recent job numbers have been better than expected. Uh, the unemployment rate is 3.8%. No one really expected that. Uh, the Fed can turn, I think, its full focus now to slowing the growth of the money supply to tame longer-run inflationary pressures. So we've got the employment situation, I, I think, you know, okay. But now it's time to uh, focus on inflation. That's going to take some time. Uh, the Fed is ex expected to start raising short-term interest rates as soon as this month and um, look at limiting the growth in the uh, Fed's balance sheet. Of course, the immediate concern is Russia, which I think is more complicated than just trying to reason with a tyrant bully. I think the good news here, at least inside the U.S., is that we have oil and we temporarily became a net exporter of oil in 2020. So in other words, we have the resources to better handle some of this if the U.S. and Canadian oil producers ramp up production. So the economics and the politics on this have the potential to come together um, on this issue, I think. So that's very exciting to hear. But as we all know, uh, Fed work and oil work both take a lot of time to come down the pipeline. So hoping right. to see that good news and hoping sooner rather than later. We play this guessing game all the time when we talk, and uh, I know you don't like it, and I know it's only getting harder every single day. What do you think is going to happen next? Yeah, that's why I think I'm going to answer the question, what do I think should happen next? Can I do that? Yeah, you can do that. I'm, I'm going to give you a freebie this time because I'm not sure what's going to happen tomorrow. So Right, exactly. So I think the Fed needs to turn its full attention to inflation fighting. I think the U.S. needs to unleash the production of oil and gas for domestic needs and to help the rest of the world deal with the shutting down of the world's third largest oil producer. Um, I think the U.S. needs to fully reopen the economy to get back to peak employment. Uh, despite all the good news gains on jobs that I mentioned, we're actually still 2.1 million workers below where we were two years ago. And so getting these idled workers employed again uh, should help alleviate supply chain bottlenecks and transportation problems and actually create stronger economic growth for the U.S. economy. All right. And as always, this is a bit of a conversation for the public, but it's also for the regulators who listen to us chatting. Besides trying to figure out how to make sure everyone's complying with a whole raft of sanctions right now, what should regulators be watching and doing over the course of the next several months? Yeah, I think kind of more in the immediate term, regulators really need to watch two things. Uh, first, how do rising inflationary pressures impact the financial institutions in their area? Uh, wage pressures are increasing in a tight labor market. Short-term interest rates will begin to rise. So, you know, what will happen to net interest margins? What will loan growth be like? Uh, credit conditions for consumers, et cetera. Um, right now, just kind of a little sneak peek. Uh, we're doing our um, community bank sentiment index. It's open right now for the first quarter of 2022 for community bankers to take that survey. And we have a question in there that essentially asks, what keeps you up at night? And it shows right now that inflation risks have jumped to the top concern that community bankers have today. And so second, for regulators, I'd be very concerned 
very, very aware of heightened risks of cyber attacks. I think with the Russian invasion, the bad guys are going to take every opportunity to create confusion and chaos and panic. And we need to think through how we're going to handle such attacks and have plans in place to limit potential damages. Well, as always, it seems to come back to protecting your data and protecting your balance sheets. So, Tom, this was really helpful and really informative. Thanks for coming on once again to help us through a very difficult time. Yeah, thank you, man.